right, everyone. So, uh, good evening. Go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We uh, took a little break from Romans 12 last week. And uh, now we're back in it. So, Romans chapter 12. And, and, you know, we've studied a lot um, in Romans 12. We've spent a lot of time here. We started in verse 1, and now we find ourselves in verse 14. Um, so I'm not going to go through everything that we've covered up to this point, just for sake of time. Uh, but tonight we're talking about the effects of the gospel part three. So we've been talking about the effects of the gospel on a believer uh, for a couple of weeks. And in, in week, and part one of that was in verse nine. Uh, and in verse nine we talked about, uh, the verse says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. And what we learned from that is to love for real. Right? We talked about that, about being genuine, that we, we, we don't need to be fake with our love, that there's enough fakeness out there, there's enough fakeness on Facebook and, and all those other places, but to be real, um, to hate evil, to just absolutely hate it, to, to both fight and flee from evil, and instead of, instead of um, allowing it into your life, instead of accepting it, instead of just sitting around and allowing it to take hold of your life, but to hate evil and to cling to Jesus, that Jesus is the only thing that's good, um, and so that we, are, we need to cling to Jesus. In uh, part two of Effects of the Gospel, we looked at verses 10 through 13. We looked at how the gospel changes how we love each other, how we serve the Lord, how we endure, right? Because you're going to th- have to go through some stuff in life and you need endurance, and how to serve others. And when we're talking about the effects of the gospel, and when we say the gospel, I want us to make sure that we all understand what we're talking about. Um, and, and, and the reason that it changes, the reason that there is an effect on us as believers, the reason that there is something that's changing us from the inside out, and the reason, and if you go back to Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul starts this entire letter out with this For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the gospel is the means by which God saves us. It is the power of God to bring salvation to us, right? It says that it, it has power and it's to everyone who believes. Everyone, anyone and everyone who, who, who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, who, who believes in, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they can be saved as well. Everyone, regardless of their background, regardless of where they grew up, regardless of the color of their skin, regardless of anything and everything, everyone, it, the, the gospel is open to everyone. And he says to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You're like, okay, why is there levels here? Because if you recall in the Old Testament, the Jews were God's chosen people, right? That was his first covenant that he made with the the Jewish people that, that you will represent me, that you will be my people, and you'll be my people to the entire world, right? And then then there's the second covenant where it includes all of us, and it's and Paul goes on to talk about it in the book of Romans about how uh, the covenant is now for all mankind. That it's also not only is it for the Jew, but also for the Gentile. That, that, that Jesus Christ coming to this earth and dying on the cross is open for all people. And so when we talk about the power of God for salvation, 
we have to understand what the gospel has the power to do. And if you just look at the book of Romans, if you just look at what we've already kind of reviewed briefly in each chapter, we can see so much of what the, the gospel has the power to do in our lives. Number one, it has the power to save us, right? We just read that, that it is the power of God for salvation, so it saves us. It saves us from what? Well, it saves us from damnation. It saves us from the judgment of God on sin. It saves us from having to spend an eternity in hell. It, is, it saves us. The power of, uh, of the gospel justifies us. We talked about that word a little bit in Romans 3, in chapter 3, in chapter 5, where it justifies us. And the word justified means it's just if I'd never sinned, right? So basically, we have a clean slate that we stand before God as if we had never sinned once in our life. That's amazing. If you think about that, and as you get older and you keep on sinning, and yet you keep thinking, wow, when God looks at me, he doesn't see my sin. He sees Jesus, and I'm justified. It's, as if, it's like I've never sinned. In Romans 3, we learned the power of the gospel redeems us. We talked about that word, redeemed. That's paid in full. That, that, that no matter what you've done in your life, no, no matter how many sins you've, 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 you've done, it has been paid, you're about with a price, and it is paid in full. And you never have to give an account for those sins, ever. The power of the gospel reconciles us to God. We learn that in Romans chapter 5. That we are reconciled, that we are brought back into a right relationship with God because of what Jesus did on the cross. And students, I'm going to tell you this right now. When you're sharing your faith, when we go out and we tell people about Jesus and we say, and, and, and we, we want to tell them about the gospel, I'm telling you, the, the reconciliation is the point. Okay? A lot of times we, we like to emphasize, if you died right now, would you go to hell? Right? Like, that kind of scares people into salvation, I think, sometimes, right? Where it's like, you're going to the fry! And so it's like, well, I don't want to fry, so let me get saved. And so, obviously, it works with some people, but I'm telling you right now, the, the gift of salvation is Jesus because we are reconciled to God. That is our point, and that is what we should be pushing and saying, listen... Because of your sin, you are separated from God, the creator of all things. But he wants to be your father. And so in order to do that, you must believe in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And you can be reconciled and brought back into a relationship with God. The power of the gospel frees us from sin and death. We learn that in Romans chapter 6. That we're free from sin. That, that we don't have to sin. We're not, we're not held to sin. We're not a slave to sin anymore. We're a slave to God. That, that, that we, we don't have to do what the sin tells us to do. And that we're free from death. That we, guess what? One day when it's time for us to go, we close our eyes and we go to heaven. We don't ever have to worry about death. We don't have to worry about what's on the other side. We don't have to be afraid because death has no hold on us. Jesus defeated death. We learned the power of the gospel takes away condemnation. In Romans 8, remember that, that, that therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That no matter what whispers you hear or what people tell you or what people yell at you or what people say about you on, on social media, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We talked about condemnation, right? What is condemned? Unfit for use. You are not that way. 
Jesus comes and lives inside of you. And he comes to, to change you from the inside out. And you are no longer condemned. The power of the gospel adopts us into the family of God. And it makes us heirs with Christ. That's amazing. We just sang about, hello, my name is, is a child of the one true king. That, that, that through the power of the gospel, that we are now in the family of God, that we're a child of God. We are co-heirs with Christ. That's a big deal. If you don't understand how big of a deal that is, read the book. It's a big deal to be a co-heir with Christ. The power of the gospel makes us more than conquerors. How cool is that? Listen, it's cool enough to win, right? It's cool enough to be the conqueror. You know, with the conqueror, you win. You can say, I won. But when you're more than a conqueror, that means that you are, you, are the, you are the child of the general. So not only do you get to say, I won, but you get to enjoy the spoils of war. You're more than a conqueror. Nothing can hold you down. The power of the gospel gives us everlasting love. In Romans 8, we, we, we talked about that nothing in this world, nothing, it, nothing above, nothing underneath, nothing, nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So no matter how bad you feel, no matter how unlovable you feel, no matter if you think nobody in this world loves you, God loves you. And nothing can take you, can take you out of his love. And the power of the gospel changes us from the inside out. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal uh, to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Remember this? But be transformed, changed from the inside out by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We are continually being changed or changed from the inside out. Another word for that, the, 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 the church word for that is we're being sanctified. We're being changed and set apart. And we should start seeing some of these attributes over time. That the closer that we get to God through the sanctifying process of the Holy Spirit, that we should start to show these attributes and these attributes are the attributes of Christ. Because the goal for us as Christians is to look like Christ. Christian. What does Christian mean? Christ-like. Exactly. To be Christ-like. To be a Christian. And not based on our, our traditional views of a Christian. Not based on the societal views of a Christian. Not based on what Wikipedia said a, a Christian is. Based on the biblical worldview of a Christ follower. A Christian. So what are some of those attributes? Well, part one. We talked about love for real. Hate evil. Cling to Jesus. Part two. We talked about how to love each other. How to serve the Lord. How to endure. How to serve others. And tonight we're going to continue with the list of how-tos that Paul gives us. And in verse 14, he starts right off the bat. How to treat your enemies. Woo! That's a hard one. How to treat enemies. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. In other words, wish good for those who harm you. Uh, bless 
and do not curse them. Or in other words, wish them well and do not curse them. And you're like, hang on a second, Paul. I'm supposed to wish for the good of those who hurt me? Yes. Paul, I think you're crazy. You don't understand what it's like to be a teenager in our society. You don't understand what it's like to be cyberbullied. You don't understand what it's like to go to school and feel completely alienated. You don't know what it's like to come home and be screamed at by your parents. Paul, you don't know what it's like to be beat up by your siblings. Paul, you don't understand. So historians believe that the book of Romans was written in between 56 and 57 AD. And during that time, they had a ruler whose name was Nero. If you know anything about history and Nero, he's a bad dude, okay? He was the ultimate jerk, all right? Um, And he hated Christians. Nero absolutely hated Christians. In fact, he burned down part of Rome and blamed it on the Christians. There's historical evidence that Nero was the one who did it. But he blamed the Christians. Why? So people would hate Christians just as much as he did. He hated Christians so much that for fun, he would take Christians, men, women, and children. He put them up on a pole and he would light them on fire along the the roads to keep the roads lit at night. That was their lamppost, burning Christians. Now that's persecution, right? That's being persecuted for your faith. Not someone put a, someone unfollowed me because I put a post up with a Bible verse, right? Under Nero, Christians were hated and truly persecuted. And Paul says, wish them well. Wish them well. But he's not just talking about in words only or, or only for show, like, Let's just pretend like we don't hate them. But he he genuinely, we're to genuinely wish our persecutors well. You might wonder why. That doesn't make sense. Why? Because there is such a wonderful opportunity to live out the gospel to the world when we do this. We can live out the gospel to the world when we bless those who harm us. And I say, well, I don't understand. We'll turn back to a couple of chapters, Romans 5. Romans 5, verse 6. Romans 5, 6. It says, this, I'm going to read verses 6 through 11. Romans 5, 6 through 11. It says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. So, so we're already put into the, lumped into this, this people group of ungodly people. Okay? Verse 7. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare uh, would dare even to die. In other words, Paul's saying, you know, for a righteous person, for someone who's like really, really good person, you probably won't find someone willing to die for them, right? Like Billy Graham. If, if, you, if you're old enough to know who Billy Graham is, he was the evangelist that toured 
the countryside and the world proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. You had these humongous uh, group gatherings at like football stadiums that'd be packed all the way. He came to Jacksonville. There was like four nights, and it was completely full down at the stadium. The games have never been this full. All right, it was absolutely full, and the gospel was being preached. I mean, this was a great man, right? We would classify him as a righteous man. And Paul says, for someone like that, someone probably won't die for him. And he says, but, but someone who's good, maybe they might. So someone who is good to me, I might be willing to do that for. Someone I love, someone who holds a, a place in my heart, like my family. I, I would die for them, absolutely. Right? But we're lumped together as ungodly. And then in verse 8 it says, but God. Which we love verses that say, but God, right? But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that as an ungodly, so, so if someone's righteous, someone probably won't die for them. If you care a lot about someone, you probably won't die for them. But if there are ungodly, Jesus came and died for us. That he proved, he demonstrated his love. It says in verse 9, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, there's that word justified, by his blood, much, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So, so listen, in our ungodly state, in our sinful state, Jesus came and he died on the cross. And when he died, it, it, it's as if, we are now justified. It's just if we had never sinned. And he took the wrath of God in our place. That's what the word of God says. That we deserve the wrath of God, but he took it for us and now we are saved. Verse 10. For if while we were enemies, the Bible says that as a sinner, I'm an enemy of God. I'm not searching after God. I'm not longing after God. I'm not wanting to be reconciled to him as a, as a sinner, as an ungodly, right? I'm his enemy. I'm at war with him. And it says that while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. We were brought back into relationship by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. He died to justify us. He rose from the grave to save us. All right, verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. In other words, students, we were the enemy of God, and he died for us. And we're called to treat our enemies the way God treated us. Did you catch that? We're called to treat our enemies the way God treated us because I am so thankful that Jesus didn't treat me the way I deserved to be treated. Right? He didn't give me justice. He gave me grace and mercy. And so often, I mean, whenever someone does you wrong and then you find out something bad happens to you, oh, they deserve it, right? They deserve it. It's okay. I do it too. It's all right. Like, you know, you find out that they're a jerk to you and then something happens and you find out that they get dumped, you know, and you're like, oh, they deserve that. Right? Or they wreck their car. Or they lose their job. They totally deserve that. 
I am so grateful that Jesus did not treat me the way I deserve. But he gave me grace and he gave me mercy. And then Jesus tells us in Luke, I'm going to read from uh, the expanded Bible. This is one of my favorite study Bibles. It's very just easy to read, okay? And it makes it very, very easy. Luke chapter 6, verse 27 through 36. This is Jesus talking. He says, But I say to you who are listening, which is all of you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. What? Jesus, you're crazy, okay? Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who are cruel to you. And that means to hurt or mistreat you. Verse 29, if anyone slaps you on one cheek, offer him the other cheek too. So that doesn't mean get abused, all right? I'm just going to let you know. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a term that meant if someone insults you, you just let them go ahead. You don't, you don't insult them back. That's what it meant to slap you on the cheek, like slap you with an insult. So it's not like, oh, oh, hit me harder, right? <laughs> like that's not what it means, okay? Because sometimes an insult can hurt worse than a punch, right? And so that's what it means. <clears throat> if someone takes your coat, don't stop them from taking your shirt too. Give to everyone who asks you, and, someone, and when someone takes something that's yours, don't ask for it back. Do to others what you would want them to do to you. If you love only the people who love you, what praise should you get? Even sinners love the people who love them. So Jesus is saying, listen, if you only love people who love you back, what makes you any different than every other sinner out there? What separates us is loving those who don't love us. Verse uh, 33. And if you uh, do good only to those who do good to you, what praise should you get? Even sinners do that. In other words, if you only do good things to those who can do good back to you, you're not any different from the world. Verse 34. If you lend things to people, always hoping to get something back, what praise should you get? Even sinners lend, uh, lend to other sinners so that they can get back the same amount or uh, expect to get repaid in full. So if you only give to expect something in return, what separates you from any other sinner? Verse 35, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without hoping to get anything back. Then you will have a great re reward and you will be children of, listen, children of the Most High God. Because he is kind even to people who are ungrateful and full of sin. Show mercy just as your father shows mercy. Y'all, I was ungrateful and full of sin. And he showed me mercy. You were ungrateful and full of sin, but he showed you mercy. So Jesus is saying, listen, treat others the way I have treated you. And that's going to be the biggest example for the world. He says, 
uh, bless you. He says, do not curse them. So essentially he's saying, don't pray for God to pay them back. <laughs> like, get them, God, right? Don't pretend like I'm the only one who's prayed that, okay? We've all been there. We've all been like, God, you got to get him back because, um, yeah, that's ridiculous, right? And we've all been there. We've all heard that. But do you remember what Jesus prayed on the cross for the people who crucified him? Do you remember that? The people who ripped the beard out of his face, the people who shoved the crown of thorns into his head, the people that beat him with a cat of nine tails, the people that drove the spikes in his hands and his feet as he was dying on the cross, he says in Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. If you remember Stephen, Stephen in the Bible, when he was stoned, he was murdered as the first martyr for Jesus Christ. In Acts 7, he says, Lord, as he's being stoned, he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. You're like, dude, are you really stoned? Because I would be like, get him, God, right? As he's being murdered. Don't hold this sin against them. Because Jesus and Stephen both wanted their persecutors to be given grace so that they would accept Jesus and receive the free gift of salvation. So instead of praying for God's justice on our enemies, we should pray for God's grace so that they don't die and go to hell. Because regardless of how much you might be angry at somebody, if you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, then you should pray and want the will of God, right? Right? Well, the will of God is that all should come to repentance and that none should go to hell. And we should pray that our enemies come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Verse 15. How to be supportive. How to be supportive. I'm so glad he, he, he goes from enemies... To frenemies, right? I'm just kidding. He goes from enemies to their friends. Okay, he says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. In other words, be happy with those who are happy. Be sad with those who are sad. Let's start with the happy, right? We all like happy. Rejoice with those who rejoice. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw some scenarios at you and you just let me know what you think. When people experience something really good in their lives, right? Like something really good happens and they're so happy and they're so excited about it. Are we happy for them and with them? Or do we get a little jealous? If we're honest, even for a split, I'm so happy for you, right? Or we smile with our face, but roll our eyes in our mind, right? I'm not the only one, am I? Like, seriously? Come on. All right? And I thought that I would give you some examples that you might be able to be familiar with. So I hope that these fit that bill. Someone, one of your friends, posts the perfect picture. Right? The perfect lighting. Perfect angle. The best filter. And they get so many more likes than you ever have. And they text you 
And they're so happy, right? They just, they're rejoicing. First of all, they didn't pay attention last week when I talked about social media. But anyway, so they're so happy, right? Are you happy for them? Yeah, it's not. It depends yes. on who it is. Okay, it depends on who it is. All right. It's someone you care about, someone you love, someone you appreciate. Or is there just a little bit of, come on, really? They always look good in every picture. Right? That's real. Or how about this? This is a real one. Your best friend always does well in school. And you struggle. They always make A's. Then there's a big test. And they get another A. And you don't. And they are so excited. Are you excited for them? No. Well, at least we're honest. And listen, I could go on and on, right? On and on. Captain of the team. Leading the play. Promotion at work. New car, new home, whatever it is. But it really boils down to if we could become less self-involved and truly care for others the way we're called to, then we could genuinely be happy with those who are happy. Why do you say that? Because we would put their happiness ahead of ours. And you're like, that doesn't make sense. Well, Paul writes in Philippians 2, 3 through 4, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. That word nothing in the Greek, it's one of those weird words that means nothing. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit or pride, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Why? Because if we were on, if we were just constantly trying to outdo one another by giving and putting others first, then we wouldn't feel like no one was giving us anything, right? Because we would all be giving our best to each other and putting the other person first. It's not about me. And then he goes on to say in Philippians that we should have the mind of Christ, who being God, he is God. He was up in heaven being worshipped 24-7. There was never any end. We read in Revelation that there's these four beasts that are floating around the throne constantly worshipping Jesus all the time. King, creator of everything. Humbled himself, became a man, became a servant, and died on the cross for us. He went from 24-7 praising to being a baby in a barn. Think about that. Being hated by his creation and dying for people. Listen, he, was, he died for people that he could literally Thanos, right? He could literally go, and they're gone, okay? He could do that, but he chose not to. He humbled himself. The ultimate example of putting others first for their own good to benefit them. And we can't, even get, we can't even get over ourselves long enough to be happy for someone that we love. 
Because we didn't get the same great thing happening to us. We need to stop being so selfish, so proud, so self-absorbed, and be genuinely happy for each other. The second one, mourn with those who mourn, weep with those who weep. And students, sometimes the best thing we can do when someone is hurting is to sit there and hurt with them. That's what it's saying. We don't always have to try to fix the problem. As a guy, that's our, that's our problem. Like We just we want to fix it. Why are you crying? Let me help you stop, right? Like, let's just, let me fix this. We got to fix it. Fix the problem. And there's a little bit of pride in that. Like, I can fix it for you. Let me be the man. But it's not about me. It's about that person who's hurting. And we really don't need to start throwing out what I call the Christianisms at them, Right? Let go and let God. Really? <laughs> That's going to help, right? This too shall pass. Okay, thanks. It hurts right now, but okay. Just remember, I can do all things through Christ. It gives me strength. And some really and well-meaning Christians will do that, right? Especially on social media. Just post that mess up there all the time. And listen, some of these are true. They are, Right? We know this too shall pass. It's true. It will. We do know that through, uh, through Christ that he gives us strength to get through everything, right? Those are truisms. Let go and let God is not. It's garbage. Don't ever say that again. That's stupid, okay? Don't say it. There's no biblical basis for that statement. Anyway, moving on. And you know what? There is time to share scripture. There is. And we should eventually because that's where we find our comfort and our hope. But just being there with your mouth shut is sometimes the best thing you can do. Sometimes the best thing to say is nothing. Or, I'm so sorry and I'm here for you. Sometimes that's the best thing to do. Why? Because at that moment, it's not about me. At that moment, it's not about us. It's about the one that's hurting. And I try to think of... the best example that came to me in the Bible for this is when Lazarus died. Remember that? Lazarus died, and Jesus is coming to Bethany, and Mary and Martha are there, and they came to him. And before he rose Lazarus from the dead, the Bible says Jesus wept. And you're like, why? He knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew he was about to end the funeral. He knew he was about to end the pain. He was about to fix the problem. But he wept. And I truly believe it's because he was genuinely moved to emotion because of the pain that Mary and Martha were enduring. He was moved to emotion. He felt it. He loved them all so much and their sadness and pain was felt by Jesus internally and he wept with them. He was with them in the moment and was vulnerable with them in their pain. I think that's an example of how we should be. Even though we know this too shall pass, even though we know new mercies come every morning, 
sometimes we can just be there with that person in that moment and hurt with them. And even though we know most situations will turn out okay, we don't always have to say it's going to be okay. Just be there feeling the same feelings is so much more helpful and shows our love for that person. So the point tonight is this. The gospel changes how we treat our enemies and gets our eyes off of ourselves and onto others. The gospel changes how we treat our enemies and gets our eyes off of ourselves and on to others. And if you've never experienced that, the gospel, if you've never come to that realization that you need a Savior and that your sins will send you to hell, I pray that the Holy Spirit will convict you and that you will come and you will speak to us before you leave tonight. And if you are a Christian, if you are a Christ follower, if you are claiming to be Christ-like, then I hope you're paying attention to these how-tos because Paul is giving us some very detailed how-to-live-the-life And you say, how do I be a Christian? We're going through it, step by step. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for these students who are here tonight. I pray you'll bless them. Um, God, I pray that they will understand the, the power of the gospel and that it doesn't just stop at salvation, but that the gospel keeps us saved and that uh, it keeps us energized and it keeps us moving. And that's through the power of the gospel that we are saved, that we are being saved, and that one day we will be glorified in heaven with you. We thank you that the gospel justifies us, that through your death that you justify us, and through your resurrection that we are saved. I pray, God, that we will commit our lives to surrendering to you, and that the gospel will affect our lives and how we, how we live how we interact with other Christians, how we interact with the lost, how we treat our enemies, how we treat other Christians. Father, I just pray that in everything that we do, that we will bring glory and honor to your name and point people toward salvation in Jesus Christ. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.